We're thinking um, this morning, continuing again in our uh, series, all about inside out and the way that Jesus turns us inside out. We've thought over the, the, the weeks, haven't we, uh, uh, at the way that Jesus turns on it, its head some of the things that we've naturally understood. We, we spent a lot of, uh, of effort trying to get people seated in our churches and, and Jesus spent a lot of time trying to get people sent out into uh, the world. We put a lot of emphasis on one person uh, or just a few special people to do all the stuff and Jesus was teaching everybody to do all the stuff. Uh, and so we've seen over the weeks how he tends to turn our way of doing things inside out and upside out. And then last week we were thinking, no, two weeks ago, we were thinking about what it might mean to be a disciple. What was Jesus trying to raise up in his early followers? He wanted them to be of godly character, which comes out of a godly heart. That's a gift. But he also wanted to build certain competencies within them because Jesus was acutely aware, sharply focused, that it was their job to carry on what he had uh, started. And we looked at that a fortnight ago, and perhaps you talked about that in your small groups, and so on. And one of the competencies, one of the things that we began to suggest that we might have to learn more about is building community, or in today's sermon title, Starting a Family. Now, families can be fantastic. I'm blessed by being born into a Christian family. My mum and dad are here this morning. It's my dad's birthday today. Uh, so, here we go. Uh, and, and that's a, a, a blessing. Families can be super, but they can be a real struggle. They can be fab, but they can be fractious and awful. So as soon as we use the word family, for some of us that's kind of okay. For others of us, that's immediately deeply painful and challenging because our family is a painful and challenging environment or we've escaped a family where it was painful and challenging. So even having family in the title of this message immediately means for, for some of us we don't want to listen and don't want to understand it. I just want to say I recognize that and let's try and push through that together because what we want to talk about this morning I think brings release and freedom to all of us whatever we've understood our families to be. So families can be a great source of, of pain and struggle. And because of that, we can try and avoid them and step away from them, hang loose to them, uh, and for all kinds of reasons. Some of us are, uh, are in situations where, where, where we're really struggling with our spouses. Some of us are in situations where we're really struggling with our children. Sometimes it's because they don't share our Christian faith and we wish they would. Sometimes there's a host of other issues. And some of us are single, and, and that's acutely painful in our culture. We've created a culture where it's really hard to be single because we've misunderstood, I think, something of God call for us to be family. So uh, there's something in this for everybody, uh, and I invite you to hear it, receive it, think about it, it ju just in, for, from your own perspective, but perhaps daring to lift your head and believe that God might call all of us, 
whatever our situation, to a more spacious place. And because families are a struggle, and if your family is working well, you'll be only too aware that families need time and effort to keep them working well. Uh, uh, so far, anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you've got your level where you are with this, right? So if your family, your family could be taking a lot of time and energy because it's really stressful, but even if it's working well, you will be conscious that it takes a lot of time and energy to keep that family working well. And there is a tension that we've created in our lives, and um, I'm really grateful to Eddie for getting the blue pen going. He's gone but he's got the blue pen going. So we've kind of got church. And we've kind of got family. And they inhabit different spaces for most of us, most of the time, which creates a tension. I only have a certain amount of time should I give that time to supporting and helping my family or should I give that same amount of time to uh, supporting and helping the church? And, and there's few people here who haven't been caught with that dilemma about how they should spend their time. Should I go to that meeting tonight? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Or should I stay home with my family? Is that just me? That's not just me, is it? No, you resonate with that. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of tension that we have as we journey because they operate in different spaces. Uh, uh, family operates, obviously, in family space. Church operates slightly differently. We say it's a family, but effectively we treat it like an organization. Everyone knows the church is the body of Christ, the family of Jesus, and all of that. But we operate like it's an organization. We train leaders to lead, uh, and there's nothing wrong in that. We, we set them up to organize and run events and programs, nothing wrong with that. But the dominant beat of the way we do our life together is it's organized. We come here for something that's organized, and then we'll go back to our families. So even if your whole family is a Christian family and you're doing it together, there is a real sense that often you leave your family to do church and when you've done church you go back to your family. Or for some of us, not all of our families share our faith, so some of us are leaving, going to church and then going back to our family, yeah? And, and we've created these two different worlds and it creates quite a lot of tension for us because you have to decide sometimes. Do I leave family to engage with the mission of church or do I hang loose with the mission of church in order to really engage with the mission of my family? Now, now people in this room are on different ends and in the middle of a whole spectrum. So some of us have been quite glad, frankly, to leave our family and do some mission at church, yeah, because that's easier. Others of us have, uh, have perhaps not found such a, 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 a synergy with the mission at church and we've invested more in our family. If we've invested more in our church, there'll be a family probably that's going, you love the church more than me. They don't say that out loud, but in their spirits, they're, they're competing. You know, I'm married to the church and all that sort of stuff. And this is exponentially worse, as you might imagine, for ministers, vicars, clergy and stuff. And people say bizarre things like, I'm married to the church. I mean, can you imagine that? You wouldn't want me and I don't want you. I mean, I'm not married to you, do you? I mean, let's... So, so some of you have gone that way. 
yeah? And, and others of you have gone, well, actually, you know, my mission is my family, and, and, and therefore you, you struggle to integrate perhaps more in church because you, your focus is in a different place. So there's all this tension going on in our lives depending on what we prioritize. What if there was another way? Would you be interested if there was another way? You see, I'm sensing there's a different way that we are only beginning to understand and we've been so moulded into our culture that family means nuclear family and church, if it's to run well, means an efficient charity business stroke organisation that we've created two different spaces that were never God's intention and perhaps is not as useful to the mission of God as we, with all our best intentions, perhaps have thought that they would be. What if there was a way that these different spaces got brought together? What if family and church... What if family and church were part of the same thing, or, or at least coming together, church here, family here. Uh, what if there was a movement like that, and a movement like that, that was kind of bringing, bringing the two together? What if we could achieve family and church all in the same space? What would that do to all those tensions that we've just been talking about. Now, it's fair to say that the picture is really complicated because in our, in our, what we might regard as our family, our nuclear family, not everybody might share our faith, not everybody might be supportive, not everybody might want to play uh, uh, the, the journey like we do. So it, it, it is complicated. But I suspect that for all of us, it would be massively better richer, more God-focused if somehow these spaces could come together. Introduce the idea of the extended family. The extended family has always been God's relational building block for what he wanted to do with his people. Let me say that again. The extended family has always been the relational building block for what God wants to do with his people. Uh, And I'm a jolly come lately to understanding this. But even as you go right back to the beginning of... uh, Well, let's just say, what do we mean by extended family? I don't necessarily mean uncles and aunts, although it could mean that. But a group of people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, every time they use the word household, family, home, house, extended family, household, it all all spoke the same social group. That Greek word we've been using called oikos, which is perhaps your, your, your own, well, certainly uh, your own family in terms of your spouse and your children, if you have a spouse or children, but it could be your business partners, those that work with you, your servants, your master, your neighbor, your uncle, your whatever. Uh, a social uh, network of relationships that people all over the world, apart from in our Western culture, still live in today. So, if you go right back uh, to some of the very important things that happened early on in the Bible, like the Exodus, there were a few things as big as the Exodus in the Old Testament, 
when God gave them through Moses instruction for the Exodus, he asked them to get into their households, into their extended family. He didn't ask them to get into their nuclear family because they didn't even understand that. Such a concept didn't exist. The nuclear family is a, is, is a Western uh, 20th century invention. The word nuclear family only entered the dictionary in about 1925. So it's a very f- new phenomenon. Uh, until then, the nuclear family as we understand it didn't exist. So when you think in the Bible, you think family, you have to think extended family because that's all they knew. So he caused them to gather in their extended family. And remember how important the Exodus was when God delivered the people. They would every year celebrate the Passover. It was their celebration of the most significant and important thing God had ever done. And they had to come back and eat a meal with whom? With their extended family. So, so the, the epicenter, the, the, the crucible, the heart of what God was doing with them as a people was worked out and celebrated in the extended family. So it's no surprise when Jesus comes along that he would do exactly the same and build a family. Now we miss most of this in our Western understanding because we think Jesus was a single man and not a family man. Jesus was a family man. When he invited the disciples to live with him and share their life with him, he was building what they understood to be a household, a family. They would know Jesus as their father. This is really important. Jesus is a single man. He's never married. Biologically, he never had any children, but he was the leader of a family. Can you see how Jesus is turning things inside out? Hello? Don't miss that. Process that. Work on that in your mind because it it cuts against what we naturally think, I think, about Jesus and the way that he operated. He started a family, and this new family was the epicenter of his ministry. Notice in Mark chapter uh, 2, the, the very next chapter, you notice how in the verses that Linda read, how central the home was beginning to be? And then I love it, in verse 1 of Mark chapter 2, a few days later, when Jesus again ate at Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. The only word for home is extended family. Jesus had come back to the extended family. Who owned the house? We don't know. Was it Peter's house? He had property in Capernaum. So did James and John, one of their houses. Did Jesus even have a house? Who knows? Who cares? That's not what it means. We can't put our Western mindset on this. He was coming back into his extended family, the family that he was building. Everything that he was about to do was going to be launched from the springboard of this extended family that he was building around those early disciples. This is Missional Community 101, right there in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. And and, and as you follow the story down, perhaps you've got it open in your Bible, you can just flick to it uh, if it's there. Uh, A few verses later, you get the story of the paralytic man, the guy that there wasn't enough room, so they went up on the house and they got a hole in the roof. Remember that one? And they lower him down, and Jesus says to him, Son, son. Now, maybe you've not really thought about why Jesus called him son. Today, if you call someone who isn't your son, son, it's patronizing, isn't it? Sonny. You know, don't call me Sonny. 
I'll try not to call you Sonny, because it's a bit kind of like I'm looking down on you. But you have to understand in this culture, this is family, familial language. This is the environment that Jesus was in, where the, the extended household was the building block of society. It was the way God was choosing to move. Son, if you're in my family, then your sins are forgiven. But then if you're not my son, your sins ain't forgiven. I mean, there's a sermon there, isn't there? Son, your sins are forgiven. Nobody goes, that's a bit weird, him calling him son. Jesus isn't married, he hasn't had any kids. Everyone understands. This is a father figure who's building a family, who's calling people around him. And here is a paralytic man. And Jesus is saying to a man that physically seems to have nothing to offer, hey, you can be part of my team as well. I want you in my family. Isn't that a wonderful picture? This poor beggar who couldn't earn or do anything. Jesus says, I want you and my team as well. I thought that was quite cool. I mean, you can take or leave that, you know, whatever, you know. It's hugely important, and I think in our Western mind, I've easily missed that, about what Jesus is doing, uh, about what he's uh, building. And then as we go on into the New Testament at large, there's loads of verses, and then I've talked about these different verses a lot, about how the building block of the church was extended families, Romans chapter 16, uh, five different extended families, all mentioned there in Philippians. Paul says, don't forget to pass on greetings to Caesar's household, to Caesar's oikos, to Caesar's extended family that's part of the wider, uh, uh, that's part of the wider church in, in Philippi. When uh, 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 Peter, uh, sorry, when Paul writes to Timothy, uh, he talks about different households there. And when Peter writes towards the end of the New Testament, he says, this is what God's doing. God's building us into spiritual families, oikos, household, extended family. That's what Jesus is doing. He's building you, me, us, into family together. And, and I think we miss it, or I think I've missed it, because I, I, I've, I've read the Bible so often, as we all do, in the light of our own experience. You see, when, when, when I say church... You and I think this. When, when, when you said church to the New Testament guys, they thought their extended family. The, 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 for, for them, these two were just totally bound up with each other. They, they, they wouldn't have understood this because it wasn't the world that they lived in. And in, you know, because economics changed in our country and we could begin to live independently of our parents and married couples could afford to set up home by themselves, the nuclear family was born. And you could say that the nuclear family has been an experiment that's on the end of failing in our culture. The nuclear family is falling apart in our culture, isn't it? And, and maybe it's falling apart because we've put all our eggs into that basket and assumed that because we could do it, it was the right thing to do. While the rest of the world and the sweep of human history has said that would be a strange thing to do. The natural building blocks for relationships is for a nuclear family to be surrounded by a wider extended family. We need to rediscover extended family. And that's part of the journey that we're on in missional, with missional communities. It's part of the wider journey that we are on as a church, that we have to build families. You see, when, when the psalmist says God sets the lonely in families, 
If a nuclear family is the only thing that exists and you're not part of it, you're stuffed, aren't you? Hello? And actually, 50% of us would find ourselves like that in this church. So what does it mean to build the kind of families where all of us belong, and then you get this picture of Jesus, non-married, no biological children, the leader of a family par excellence. Or don't you think he did that very well? You see, so he must have done that brilliantly. You know he did. We all know he did. And so it's beginning to turn our thinking inside out. Is that somebody's phone or was that the altar call music? Am I, is that time to bring everyone forward and sort of kneel down and stuff? <laughs> Abide with me playing in the background and away we go, swinging. No, we're not there for that yet. So, building an extended family, right? Let's come into land. Let's put some, put some DL on some, uh, on some of this. Okay. Start where you are. That sounds a bit obvious, doesn't it? But start where you are. So, who have you got? Who have you got? Who, who has God already placed in your orbit of influence and relationship that you could begin to build an extended household, a family with? Who have you got? You might have your nuclear family. Your nuclear family might be stretched just now because you don't share ideology, you don't share faith, you don't share Jesus. And so, so that might not be your obvious starting place. Are, are there friends? Are there work colleagues? Are there people that you play squash with, do music with, do whatever with that, that, that God could be just flagging in your... Who have you got? Who have you got? And maybe you're thinking, I've got no one. I've got no one. Let me, let me let you in to the secret of the gospel if you've got no one. Jesus knows exactly how that feels. As Jesus' ministry got underway, he had no one. We read that his village took him to a cliff outside of the village, and that's the way they would execute people. If it was a local execution uh, led by the synagogue, they would take you outside the village to a cliff so they could throw you off. So, so Jesus is under no illusions why they're at the top of the cliff. They weren't there for a picnic. How does Jesus feel? He's about to step into everything God has for him and the people that he has grown up with are rejecting him carte blanche. That hurts, doesn't it? But it did not mean he was out of the picture. And some of us mentally and perhaps emotionally, because of the way we've understood family and because of the way we set things up to work, have, have decided in your, it may be in your mind or in your heart, well, I'm out of the picture because my family's in chaos. You are not out of the picture. It got worse for Jesus. They rocked up to Jesus one day and they said, mate, you're mad. This is his brothers. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he's out of his mind. So you have to imagine the level of rejection that Jesus has felt. And you might feel this morning mega rejected by your biological family. You might feel kicked out of your street and pushed out of your village. They might be referring to you when you go on holiday and someone's got that t-shirt on, the village idiot is missing. And you think, is that me? That was a joke. That went down really well, didn't it? 
I was like, what's he on about? That's just a joke. That's not in the Bible. Village idiot on a t-shirt. Not in the Bible. Just a throwaway comment, lighten things up a little bit, because I thought it was getting a bit heavy. And, and now I feel a right what's it. I feel the idiot now. Okay. So, who, who, who have you got? And if you feel you've got no one... You're starting where Jesus started. Now, that's not too bad, is it, really? Honest, I'm trying to be, you know, this is really hard. I know this cuts at us emotionally and deeply. But Jesus started in that broken place. Everyone's in on this journey. Do you understand that? Everyone's in on this journey. Uh, And the gospel, the, the life of Jesus is just a constant reminder. He draws all of us in, whatever our situation, whatever our circumstance, wherever we find ourselves right now. If your family think you're mad, it's okay. Jesus knows all about that. If your village has taken you outside the city to give you a right beating, that's okay. Jesus understands what that's like. Who have you got? And Jesus, and next week we'll look at this, Jesus gave his disciples strategies for how to begin to build when they didn't know who to start with. Who do you start with when you haven't got a clue? And we'll look at that next week. But most of you know where to start. When I said, who have you got? I suspect that the majority of people, someone came to mind. You might not have liked it. You might have thought it was a bit left field. You might have thought it was a bit weird. You might have thought, oh, I'm not going anywhere near them. But maybe the Holy Spirit was nudging you, okay? Really important. We've all got somewhere to start. So, what do you do? What do you do? That's a good question, isn't it? You know, you thought about some people. What do you do? Well, it's it's really not that hard or it's extremely hard it's kind of really simple but being simple doesn't always make it easy it's taking one step with that person with those people to begin to start building a deeper relationship with them and what I've discovered is that regular rhythm is key. Don't do something special one-off. Do something little, often, and for a long period of time. Let me just share a couple of things about how it's panned out for Kerry and I. When we looked around and we thought, who have we got? Chucks. When we looked around and thought, who we've got? Well, God's building a a, a team of people here, a ministry team here, uh, uh, along with loads of other people God's building here. Uh, and well that's who we've got that's who we've got so what do we do we we just started doing little things regularly to create a sense of us building family together and and the rhythm is key you see it had to fit in with us Uh, and that sounds wrong in a way but bear with me for a moment you see if it didn't fit in with us as a family after a few goes at it we'd be exhausted and wouldn't be able to keep it up do you understand that so, so, so we couldn't do something special on top unless you've got loads of free time. Hangs up, loads of you got loads of free time, nothing to do, twiddling your thumbs. See, none of us are like that. So you can't do something on top. Well, we could. You could do one or two things on top for a short period of time and then you kind of lie half barely alive in the hallway of your house and wonder what on earth happened. So, 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 so what were the things hey we like going for walks as a family on a Saturday afternoon so we started inviting people to come and join us for walks on a Saturday afternoon we like on a Sunday after church 
chilling out, eating lots of food, and just sitting around doing as little as possible because we're exhausted by then. So we invited people to eat lots of food and chill out and sit around exhausted with us. You see, just little things that, in a sense, didn't massively alter our routine as a family. And because it didn't massively alter our routine, it becomes more sustainable and regular. We began to see a quality of relation built over a relatively short period of time, six months, 12 months, deeper than we might have imagined. The key was simple, regular, and routine. So, what do you do regularly? You all eat. Perhaps we'll say something about that in a minute. But maybe regularly you do golf, or regularly you do music, or regularly you walk to the paper shop, or regularly you do whatever. All of us do some regular routine things, perhaps that we enjoy doing. You might even do shopping. Anyone do shopping? Whoa. Yeah. You look in trouble with that, side. Debbie spends your money. I, I, I know somebody said, well, I, I'm just way too busy. But every Friday, I go around Tesco's and do my weekly shop. Well, take them with you. Honest? I mean, it sounds stupid, isn't it? People will be delighted to go around Tesco's with someone else. We are that starved of friendship in our world. Honest? I mean, even Tesco's. Or is Tesco's bad? It's like Tesco's of the devil around here because they take a... Should we be co-op? Is that better? Is that more ethical? Wherever you shop, you know, um, if you shop online, get another laptop and sit the person next to you and go, ooh, what are you buying? Ooh. Do you know? We all do stuff, normal stuff that you're going to do. Invite people to join you for what you ordinarily do. We become paralyzed because we think we have to do some big massive thing and we don't. Just invite people to share the journey. Meals. You have 21 meals every week. Invite a few people to come. And look, just something about meals. It's not a dinner party. It's a family meal. So don't cook special food and don't get the special plates out and don't put the special napkins around and don't not let them help clear up because that's not a family and that will exhaust you and you won't be able to keep doing that. Do invite them, do do normal food, do not tidy the house, do make them clear up. They will have a great time and you'll be able to do it next week because what we do is we get everybody to clear, in fact this is the only reason we do it, we get everybody to clear up our house at the end and it looks better than before they came. It's really important. Last 10 minutes, everybody clear up. We want this house that we're in better than when we arrived. Why? Because that makes it sustainable. It's not dinner party. You might do that once in a while. But if I say to you, do three dinner parties a week, uh, you know, some people are just glazing over like, that guy's mad. And the blokes are going, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Dinner party, that'd be lovely. Three times a week, great. We'll have pudding if it's a dinner party. I like pudding. Normal stuff, routine stuff, basic stuff. If you do it often, a couple of times a month, regularly, I tell you, you'll see a big change in your relationships. You really will. So, just a few pointers in four minutes, right? And then we'll we'll do a hymn so we know it's coming to the end and then we're out of here, okay? Prayer. When you're together doing a shopping, it's not hard to pray. Do normal stuff and, and pray when the relationship gets to that point. 
So when we, we, one of the things we do is we have Saturday packed lunch at our house. We don't even make them lunch. We're that tight. Bring your packed lunch and eat in our house. And they've got to clear up. I mean, it's mad. And they come. It's unbelievable. And then we go for a walk. But before we go for a walk, for, for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is, with the kids, young and old and whatever, we pray together for one another. It's not difficult or hard. It's not out of our routine. Just together, for a few moments, go out and have the walk. So there's some structured times. 7.30, Tuesday and Thursday, we get on Skype. 7.30, just for 10 minutes. Might not suit you, but suit some people. And for 10 minutes, we pray for one another as we go into the mission field of our day. doesn't really mess up the routine. You can put Skype on mute so you can still shout at the kids, and then you can go back to praying, and everybody thinks it's fine and quiet and perfect at home. And you can do that as well. It's not hard... But I tell you, it means that at three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm thinking to myself, actually, Phil, who's out working somewhere, is trying to speak to that person he's working with. I'm remembering to pray because for 10 minutes we got on a call in the morning. Does that make sense? That's not difficult. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it, it makes a huge difference to our sense of being family, of building relationship uh, together. Uh, and probably not a day goes by without one of the, the families, so we're talking about husbands, wives, children, and all that stuff, uh, putting a request on Facebook, which is our communication platform for us as a ministry team, extended family. Uh, Please, would you pray for? Yeah, I'm praying. Yeah, I'm praying. Yeah, I'm praying. It doesn't take seconds. Uh, and yet there's that connection as we go through. So prayer, um, meals. We said a lot about meals. They're not dinner parties and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, if the food's good enough for you, it's good enough for them. It'll be better than what they have at home, honest. Don't, don't stress about it. Right? Meals, um, sharing, we looked at sharing uh, uh, resources. Julie started talking to us about that uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago. Discipleship, well, you see, if discipleship is, is not something we teach, but something we learn by following, watching, and sharing with others, as we connect as an extended family So for one example, for my kids, they're seeing loads of adults praying. They're seeing loads of adults struggling with walking with Jesus, learning to hear God speak. And that teaches them in a way Kerry and I never could. And so, for example, when one, uh, uh, there was a business issue, we all got together to pray. Uh, In the old way of thinking, I would have left my family and gone to this special group to pray, and then I would have gone back. But no, you go, actually, we're all in this together, kids and all, let's go and pray. And the fantastic thing about that is, they learn to pray with us in a way they just don't do that in church. It's not that what we do in church is wrong, it's very appropriate. But the kids have gone off somewhere to do something, haven't they? They're not learning to pray from me. But when they're with me this morning in the prayer room, Joel was with me. I tell you, it's brilliant. Because he's learning. And he's learning from the other guys who are saying, Lord, I need you to help me with my, you know, I need you to help me with my life, my business, whatever it is. And because discipleship is, is caught rather than taught, it suddenly opens up a whole platform for it that, that I hadn't seen before. We haven't seen before. And you can begin to understand why extended family is the building block, the relational building block that God gives us for ministry, discipleship, and mission. And uh, and lastly, uh, picking up that mission thought. So for us as an extended family, how do we go on mission together? Well, well, we're just beginning to work this out. But we're recognizing that God's given each one of us, adults and kids, 